same time. Uh, my name is Craig. I'm on staff here at PCC, and I'm glad that you're here today. I'd like to invite our fifth grade and under students, if they want to make their way to the back, the teachers will be there to receive them as they head out to their classrooms. Um, as they do that, I invite you to grab your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to continue in our series, In Christ, uh, a series where we're looking at how we are together, growing, and living in Christ. Uh, first three chapters, Paul's been talking about and extolling the virtues of God, how great and marvelous he is, his plan of salvation for all people. Um, he clearly states that Jesus is at the heart of this, that Jesus is the center of, of what we are called to, to do and to called to worship. He's the center of the plan. Uh, through Jesus, we have a dynamic relationship with him and with each other. That's what makes all those things possible. Uh, in chapter 4, uh, he makes the turn, right? And he starts talking about uh, not only what God has done for us, but what our response to him should be as a result of what God has done for us, uh, what God has done for us. And he makes this appeal that we are to walk in a way that's worthy of the message, worthy of what Jesus has done. And he talks about it in terms of us being united with Christ and being united with each other. So last week, we were challenged when we looked at, at the scripture to be completely humble, to be gentle, to be patient as we put up with each other, right? That's what we talked about a little bit last week, uh, how we need to put up with each other, and we do that in love. What it means for us to be united as one body, united uh, together as we serve and move forward together in the one hope and the one faith and the one baptism we have because of the one God and Father who is above all and in all, right? And so that's kind of where we've been and where we are at this point. And in our text today, what we'll find is that Paul is challenging us uh, to be a community of believers and how being a, in a part of a community of believers is essential for growth and maturity because it is the amazing way that Christ has given us gifts and then we are to take those gifts that aren't just for us but they're for the entire body, for the entire body of believers and how as we are unified with God and with each other, there's uh, a lot of diversity that happens in that that's necessary, a diversity that's beneficial for everyone. Paul talks about how these different ministries, these different giftedness, is, they're, they're all needed together so that believers can grow together in their knowledge of Christ and their faith so that we can mature and become more like Christ as we go through our life, and in the, especially in the life of the church. And so as we dive into the text today, I just want to take a, a moment to pray. I think we should pray for wisdom, pray for open hearts and open minds, and uh, I, I would ask that you would do that. We'll just take a moment, and if you would pray, just asking God to, to open your heart and your mind to what he wants you to hear today, and then I'll pray, and then we'll continue on together. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Reveal yourself through the scriptures. Father, as we come before you today, I pray that we would see your love for us. Father, that we would see the amazing way that you've chosen to demonstrate your love for us, that we can join you and we can please you and, and we can be one with you and with each other. God, I pray that as we hear your word, we would respond in ways that that glorify you and that bring you honor. God, help us as, as we walk through today to be open to you. Thank you for being with us. May we be aware of your presence here this morning. We thank you, Father. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
So let's dive into the text. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 7. Uh, follow along in your Bible or it'll be on the screen uh, in front of you. It says, but to each one of you, uh, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If you go back to verse 7 where we started here today, we find that Paul moves from emphasizing unity to describing a community of believers in terms of their diversity. But this particular diversity is different from emphasizing different ethnicities or backgrounds or race or creed or color. Instead, the focus is on God's sovereign distribution of his divine gifts and abilities among the different members. This diverse distribution of gifts is not to separate people, but instead it's to bring people together so that they can promote unity and growth of the entire body of believers. And part of the focus here is on the individual, how each one of us contribute to the body and how each one of us contribute to growth. How we are not the same, and we're not called to be the same, but we are called to come together as different people to be united in Christ and then united with each other, which makes the fact that what we do here, right, which makes the fact of what we do in a church so unique and so special and so amazing. If you think about the differences that we have in this room, and yet we are united because of Christ, right? We can be united with him and we can be united with each other. And and that's what makes what we do here a, a very remarkable thing. We have different thoughts and different backgrounds and different ideas, and yet because of Jesus, we come together. And that is reason enough to rejoice, That's reason to give thanks. That's reason to have joy in our life. The reason we worship him is because of what he's done for us and how we can strive to share that with each other as we go through our daily life. In verse 8, he says, this is why it says he ascended on high. He led captives in his train and gave gifts to people. And then it talks about this ascending and descending. Um, Now this, if you know your Bible really well or you've studied this, you know that there have been tens of thousands of words written on this little passage, right? These these short little verses about what really happened and what he's trying to say here. And uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, and it's kind of interesting, but I don't know how beneficial it is at this point for us to dive that deep into this text. And so part of me, I thought about, you know, I'd just skip it, right? Just ignore it. Pretend it doesn't exist, and we can avoid talking about it. And yet, I think... Uh, it's good to at least touch on it. And so here's the disclaimer. Uh, What I'm about to say, if you disagree with me, that's fine, right? Because I could be wrong. There are people a lot smarter than me that disagree with me and people a lot smarter than me that I agree with. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? So I just want to throw this out and and just kind of say, okay, let's look at it from, from this perspective. Paul quotes 
from Psalm 68, 18. Everybody agrees with that part of it. Psalm 68 is focusing on God's majestic and overwhelming power to save people from their enemies. And I would suggest that Paul is using this text to emphasize how Christ used his power to save people from their ultimate enemies, specifically the enemy of sin and the enemy of death. He did that when he lived his life. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected by the power of God. And when his ministry was complete here on earth, he ascended, he went back up into heaven because it was from heaven that Jesus came from in the first place. And like a conquering king, he led his captives, he led his spiritual enemies, including sin and death, in his train, and he gave gifts, he gave gifts from the victory, such as forgiveness of sins and eternal life, to those who receive him. And while those are universal gifts, right, of those who receive him, there's also gifts of, of life and forgiveness and hope and joy and many more that are the universal gifts. Paul also talks about some specific gifts that Christ gives to people out of his grace. And he does that beginning in verse 11. He's given grace to each and every one of us so that there is unity. And then he has given us different roles in that unity so that we can uh, work to accomplish different things, so that different objectives can be uh, accomplished. So in verse 11, he says, So Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Here we find Paul highlighting five different areas in which people are gifted. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, so it's not like you have to go, oh, I have to have one of these. No, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other times in Paul's writings where he talks about the gifts that God has given to us, different spiritual gifts to believers. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, we see a wider variety of these gifts that that God has given or that Christ has given to believers. And to look at those in detail is a, is a class that Doug and Lorna have taught. It's a time for a, another day and, and another time. But, but today in the text, Paul shares these five, and I just want to touch on them briefly here this morning. Um, it's thought that these five uh, gifts that Christ has given are essential to the establishment of a local church. And so let's, let's touch on uh, them in, in just a moment. Before we do that, we have to st- take a step back. And remember last week in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, that Paul stresses that the church has this common belief, this one faith that is essential to all of us walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling. It's what Paul emphasizes in this this common faith, this common belief that's necessary for us to mature, for us to grow, and for us to avoid the dangerous teachings that are out there. So Paul refers to these five different areas. The first one he mentions is apostles. Now, an apostle is simply one who is sent. And it served as a foundational function in the early church. Paul was most certainly referring to Jesus' disciples as well as himself. As he, along with the disciples, they had been called directly by Christ to follow him. And then they were sent out to share his teachings. But he was also most likely referring to those who function in the foundational role of every church. Those who establish and plant churches wherever God calls them to go. Uh, This is a calling found in the scriptures that leads some people to take the good news of salvation to those who haven't heard of it. We often think of people like that uh, as as missionaries or church planters, people who have been called through the scriptures and they want to take the message to those who have not yet heard it. It was the role Paul saw himself in as he took his missionary journeys and he planted churches. He took on the role of an apostle to begin the church so that he could 
do those things and establish and tell the message of Christ to those who had yet to hear it. That's the first one he talks about. The second one he mentions are prophets. Now, prophets is a unique uh, description or distinction that creates a lot of interesting thought and conversation. We're familiar with the the prophets of the Old Testament, of how they spoke uh, for God and they spoke about what was to come. Sometimes God gave them visions. We we think of people like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah whose visions uh, served toward revealing the grand movement of God's plan of salvation, that plan that was accomplished, we know, through the person of Jesus Christ. So in the new covenant, after Christ had come, we see that the role of the prophet is to strengthen and to encourage and to offer comfort as the church is being built up. A prophet is called to speak the truth, to share instruction on what the word says, and it's primarily intended for those who are believers. And in a very real way, anytime that we spend time speaking the truth in love to other people, we are being prophetic as we are encouraging each other. As we share the truth of God's word with people, the truth of his love for us, we are being prophetic because we are passing on what Christ has done for us. The third one that he mentions here is the word evangelist. Now, evangelist is is a word that over the years at least, especially in our culture, uh, you can see that word in a very interesting light, right? Especially if you add the words TV in front of it, right? It changes kind of our perspective on those things. In our, in our minds, we often have this idea of what an evangelist is based on that. We see an evangelist as someone who has this charismatic personality, someone who talks about spiritual things and is always asking for your money, right? Or is that just, you know, maybe that's just my jaded view, but that's, that's kind of the way when, when you think of evangelist and especially TV evangelists, that's, that's what we think of. But the truth of the matter is, an evangelist is someone who simply makes known the redemptive message of the good news of Christ. Now, that's what an evangelist does. It just talks about Jesus and lets people know about what Jesus has done. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4-5 to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, an evangelist is often seen as someone who, uh, unlike the role of an apostle who goes out, the, the job of an evangelist is often someone who remains in the local church and continue to share the gospel in the immediate context of where they are. And again, in a very real way, when we share with someone what Christ has done, either on the grand scale of giving his life for everyone to redeem all of humanity and all of mankind, when we do that or, or when we share on a personal level of what What a difference in our own life that a relationship with Christ has made in our life and we tell people how God has redeemed us and what he's done for us. When we do that, we are serving as an evangelist. And I don't know if you want to put that on your business card, but if you talk about Jesus with people and you share his good good news and, and about his love, you're doing the work of an evangelist. The next group there are pastors. And while the term pastors is not used often in the New Testament, the idea behind it is one that would have been very common, especially in the early church. Uh, Pastor is really the title of shepherd. In fact, in the book of Acts, uh, back in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is addressing the leaders of the church in Ephesus, he tells the overseers, he tells the elders that they are to shepherd the church. Uh, A pastor, a shepherd, takes on the role that involves a great deal of care and concern and leadership. Uh, Being a pastor is what Jesus called Peter to do when he asked him, hey, Peter, do you love me? And, of course, Peter said, yes. And so what did Jesus say? Then feed my sheep, right? 
Go take care of them. Be a pastor. We, we see the imagery of a pastor as a shepherd. It involves knowing people, protecting people, and loving them enough, even enough to give your own life for them. And here's what's interesting. Truth be told, that's what some of you are, right? Some of you are serving the role of a pastor. You are invested in other people. You've invested your life into others. You know them. You're willing to have hard conversations with them, even to take action to protect them. You're willing to give of yourself, your time, your effort, your abilities for them. And while you may not see yourself as a pastor, that's exactly what some of you are as you go through that. So I had a thought as I was going through this, maybe that's what I'm going to start calling some of you, right? As you call me, I'll call you the same because we're doing the same thing in that role as we are loving people and investing in them and and directing them. We're being pastors. Paul also mentions teachers. When we read what Paul has to say about teaching, uh, we go to Romans as well as First and Second Timothy, we see that teaching is the responsibility of a pastor, but also the responsibility of anyone who takes up leadership in the church. Not only would the teacher uh, pass on the teachings of the Old Testament, but they would also pass on the stories of Jesus' life. They would pass on his teachings through his ministry. Part of their teaching was also to include uh, the confessional and, and ethical traditions that were shared in the early church, the basis of their faith. Remember last week, uh, we looked at verse 5, we looked at the term that Paul uses of one faith, which undoubtedly included what the apostles taught during the time of the birth of the church. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2.42 that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? They were teaching. And while all of these roles that that are mentioned here involve some uh, aspect of sharing or teaching, it's a particular role of teaching that not only passed on content and information, but it also explains that information in a way to try to encourage the believers to live their life in a way that was different than they were so they could apply that which they were learning. And the same thing happens today when we gather on Sunday mornings, right? What we do in this time is is even when we're singing songs, we're singing songs that have a message that are trying to teach us and shape us and mold us to be following Christ and to set our hearts and minds before him. In our time together, when, when the speaker is up here sharing, it's not only telling you what the Word says, but, but how do we apply that and, and what does it mean to our life? It, it's something we do in our discipleship classes. It's, it's on some level what we do in our small groups and, and our other gatherings, the times that we come together. We are being taught the truth of the Scripture, and we're being challenged to live it out as a community of believers, as individuals in the context of a community of believers. That's why Christ gave gifts to us in the first place. Look at verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And here's where I have found in my experience that people begin to start to push back when, when they kind of get to this point. Uh, the scriptures are clear that those who are leading are not simply called to, to just lead and to do the ministry of the church, but to invest and to develop and to train and prepare fellow believers to engage in serving others in the community. Now, depending on your background, especially your religious experience, you probably see this in one of two different ways. For some, you may have the mindset of, well, but that's why you're here, Pastor, right? Your job, your responsibility, your role is to do the work of the serving and to build up the body. You're here to take care of those things. You've received the training. You've received the calling. You've been equipped. You're the clergy. We are not. 
And as such, there's a clear distinction between clergy, between pastors, priests, uh, rabbis, uh, reverends, whatever you want to say, and everyone else, right? There's a clear distinction. The other view is to say that the ministry belongs to everyone. It's simply the role and the responsibility of the clergy and the leaders to provide training and oversight and to encourage everyone to participate. That it's not just the hired staff, but it's all of us. It's, it's everyone. It's the entire church, the entire community of believers that is responsible for the works of the ministry. And this second view is the view that we hold here at PCC. And the reason it's our view is because we believe that's the view Paul presents in the larger context of what he talks about as we receive Christ, that each individual part is working toward the common good. And even while we are united together, this being united together and receiving different parts results in different types of service that we all have. It's why here at PCC we have such things as the leadership team and ministry leaders. It's why we have different staff positions and small group leaders and, and small group hosts, prayer team, connect team, audiovisual team, uh, everybody working together, right? The worship band, servers, uh, there's a whole list of things that, that we do that are different roles that different people serve in, and they serve individually and in those little groups because we're part of the bigger group and the whole so that we can be united together so that we can build each other up so we can develop as verse 13 says until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ the goal the desired outcome is for all of us to reach unity of the faith and to become mature and this is where the rubber meets the road for us. This is something that we are all called to do, all of us. We're called to have a unified faith, especially when it comes to Jesus, who Jesus is as the Son of God and what he's done for us when he, he gave his life for us. We're called to, to serve uh, in, uh, and to follow his example and how he served people in his ministry, how he was willing to lay down his life and he was buried and he was resurrected by the power of God and, and how that's so relevant in our lives. We're called to al allow the knowledge of God and our relationship with the Lord to lead us down a path of maturity, a maturity that is evident in the life of a believer through that relationship with God and with other believers, especially in our ability and our willingness to serve others. It's suggested that in our service, we actually become more like Christ as we serve and we experience his fullness in very real ways. It's, it's a fullness of Christ that is amazing to experience. And if you've ever experienced it, you, you know that. Because what is so interesting about the different gifts that, that Christ has given to us is that when we use those gifts, it doesn't lead to drudgery or, or a simple obedient obligation. It, it's not guilt and something you have to do. In fact, it's gifted to us. It's a grace that's given to us, and when you respond to him in that way, you receive this, this joyful, rich, and rewarding experience. Even when things are not easy, there's a joy that comes from using your gifts to serve other people. And for those of you who have experienced it, you, you know, and you can tell other people that, that when you invest in people, when you see lives changed, when relationships are restored, when there is growth, you find this deep satisfaction that comes from the Lord because you're seeing God work in the lives of other people. And that is a rich and rewarding experience. And that's why we're, one of the reasons we're given those gifts is so that the body can be built up. 
And what you discover is that not only are you helping other people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, but you discover that God's working in your own life as well, and you are being changed as you serve other people. Through using our gifts, we mature, we grow, we're filled with Christ, and then, then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul, he, he contrasts this mature person with this infant. With maturity, there's stability and there's growth, but without maturity, people are not only tossed back and forth and blown here and there, but they are led astray and they are deceived. It brings to mind how Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden, how Paul in 2 Timothy 4 warns us about being surrounded by those who only say what we want to hear. And to avoid this scenario, and instead to grow in Christ, Paul says we're called to be mature. And to be mature, we need to accept the one faith that, that Paul talked about before. And in order to accept the faith, we need to hear it. And in order to hear it, we need to be taught. In order to be taught, the community of believers has to be using the gifts that Christ has given to us. Because here's the amazing thing. When you contribute to the growth and maturity of the community of believers, you're growing as well, right? And what we see is that we become a part of the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, as each person is doing their part. And I have to tell you, from my perspective, how exciting it is to see this happen. One of the great things uh, that, that I can tell you is, is looking out and, and knowing uh, different, uh, different ones of you and the, the things that have happened in your life, that there are people here that I've seen your faith grow. I've seen you understand what it means to become mature. I, I've seen you take great strides in using your gifts to, to benefit not only yourself but other people to invest in the lives of others. And when I see that, I have to tell you, it's encouraging and it's life-giving and it's what we're called to do. The other side of that is I've, I've talked to, to many people who feel like uh, they, they have this attitude about themselves, well, I can't, I, I'm not qualified, I'm not as good as someone else or, you know, whatever. And I hear you and, and I want you to know that you're still called. God has still gifted you and you're still called to use your gift and to do what God has called you to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We all have different gifts, and it's for the benefit of each other. I think it's quite interesting that, that Paul follows his instructions on giving gifts in the Scripture he starts talking about love. We see that in 1 Corinthians. We see that again in Romans. In Ephesians, he spends the first half of this letter showing the power of God and how God's great love for us is what led him to do these things in our lives, right? And he shows how it's all a result of God's love. That the motivation is God's love. That God sent his son Jesus to earth because of his love for us. That Christ was motivated to give his life for us because of his love for us. He talks about gifts and using them for, your, for the benefit of others so that we can all grow and mature. And then he talks about love. In verse 15 it says we are to speak the truth in love, right? We're to do these things in love because love without truth 
it becomes changeable and susceptible to falsehood. You have truth without love and you can hurt people. You can even lead them away from Christ, lead them out of a relationship with him. But we need truth and we need love. Love is the motivator. It's the factor in which we are called to to use, to allow us to, to do out and to live out those roles in which we have been given through Christ so that we can serve others and build up the body of believers. It's because of love. And so I want you to be encouraged that that God gave you these gifts because of his love for you, and he wants the motivator for you to use them to be loved. And so I want you to be encouraged, encouraged that God has given you his grace, that he has equipped you and he is inviting you to serve other people. And as we serve one another, we grow, we mature, we become more like Christ. For that That, as believers, is what we are called to do, to become more and more like him. And all of this is because of Christ, because of his sacrifice for us. It's a sacrifice that that we remember. It's a sacrifice we celebrate each and every week as we gather together, where we, as one body, we come together as different people, yet united because of Christ, because of what he has done for us. In just a moment, the ushers are going to pass the trays, the, the bread which represents his body and the juice which represents his blood. And as you take of the bread and as you drink of the juice, we reflect on him. We we remember that it's because of him and his love that we are united together. And it motivates us in our love for him and our love for each other. And as you participate and you celebrate and you remember, I invite you to, to worship and to think about how you will respond to the Lord this morning. The band's going to lead us in a song as we partake, and maybe after you've partaken, and and it's a song that really could be our prayer to the Lord this morning. It's a song that talks about our life, talks about our moments of every day, our hands and our feet. It, It talks about taking all of who we are and offering that back up to the Lord so that it could be used by Him, so that we could serve Him and we could serve other people, and that's all for His benefit and all for His glory. And we do that because of love. The love he has for us spills out into our life, into love for other people. It's our prayer. It's what we celebrate. It's what we remember. And it's our response to him this morning. So I pray that as we partake, your response to the Lord will be one of thankfulness, of appreciation, as you praise him and as you worship him. And we would respond to him by loving him more as he loves us. So let's worship him together this morning. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and pass the trays. As believers, you partake, you participate. Let's worship him together today.